This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, August 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor throws his support behind a fall college football season. Then... It's very historic uh, in in Mississippi uh, to, to, to override a governor's veto. Lawmakers respond to the first veto override since 2002. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, cases of COVID-19 are popping up in schools. We talked to a superintendent on the coast about how his district has managed the first week of school. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For many in the South, fall means football. But that reality could be shattered as two of college football's premier conferences are suspending athletic activities. The Big Ten and Pac-12 both announced yesterday their member schools would not be participating in fall sports due to concerns over the coronavirus. The Southeastern Conference, home of Mississippi State University and the University of Mississippi, has modified its football schedule but has not yet announced any plans to suspend play. Governor Tate Reeves says football can and should be played. I personally uh, would believe that we can we can play uh, college football. I don't think you can do it in a stadium with a hundred thousand people in it. That certainly doesn't make any sense. Uh, but you know we've been working with our universities, uh, State and Ole Miss and Southern Miss and and others, uh, looking at the potential for. Uh, an agreement on what it would look like and so you know look it's it's um there there are no easy uh, decisions i understand at this point but we're also not going to ever completely minimize risk um, and mitigate risk to a point of zero we've got to understand that our goal is not to go from from where we were on march the 11th when we had the first case down to zero cases because that's not a realistic goal our goal has to be to protect the integrity of our health care system, which is, I have, if I've said it once, I've said that 500 times from right here, and I believe that we can do that. And I believe that um, particularly given the, uh, the number of testing uh, requirements that have been um, put upon uh, our universities across this country, uh, that we can play football, certainly not without any risk, uh, but with minimal risk, uh, and we give those uh, those kids an opportunity to to be in school and also uh, to play. Reeves first made his opinion regarding college football public yesterday afternoon via a statement on Twitter calling detractors opponents of football. It came at a time when the sports power five conferences, including the SEC, were weighing the factors needed to safely play a season. Yet Reeves was silent on the matter when the South uh, Southwestern Conference, whose members include the state's three historically black public universities, made the decision to suspend fall sports on July 20th. 
20th. He was also silent when the NCAA announced last week its Division Two and Three fall championships were canceled due to concerns over the coronavirus. Reeves says college football, presumably SEC football, is essential. He points to the economic impact the sport can, the impact the sport can have on college communities and athletic departments. He believes residents should approach the prospect of playing football much like the reopening of the economy. It's because we recognize that there are risks, but there are also actions that we can take to mitigate risk and still continue to live our lives. I believe the same can be said uh, for college football. Uh, I think there are many kids, and by the way, it's not limited just to college football. Uh, there are many kids in high school uh, that, um, that they're, they're, the athletic portion of their day is extremely important to them. And so I believe that there is a way for us to do high school sports in a safe, responsible way. Um, that's not going to include uh, tens of thousands of people in the stands because we know that that's a, an opportunity for a super spreader event. But there is a way for us to have um, sporting events that are safe. Uh, and I think that that's where the conversation should be around college football, not uh, an effort uh, to shut it down. High school athletics are scheduled to start early next month. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says there are 27 Mississippi schools with a combined 42 known cases of COVID-19 since on-campus learning resumed. He says more episodes of quarantine students are expected. Um, It's going to keep happening to some degree. Um, I, I would say that it's a bit of a disappointment to have to quarantine that many people. Um, under the under the current guidance, if you can maintain the proper spacing of six feet and more per student, uh, then there is not a mandated quarantine. And and so to me, that suggests that our classes are too crowded. Um, just to be quite honest, um, we haven't done a successful job in sort of blending different schedules and then and then online learning uh, sort of combinations. Um, otherwise, we're going to continue to see this. It's just it's just inevitable until we can get our community transmission down considerably. High school football is slated to kick off September 4th. Coming up, lawmakers respond to the first veto override since 2002. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Governor Reeves is claiming victory after his veto of the education budget bill was overridden earlier this week. It was the first veto override since 2002. Reeves says he vetoed the bill to compel lawmakers to fund the school recognition program. I thought the outcome of yesterday was uh, excellent. Um, I vetoed the K-12 through education bill because they did not fund the school recognition program. Uh, that is a program where 23,157 teachers were entitled to nearly $30 million in, in compensation that they had earned. And so I was extremely pleased uh, that the legislature uh, agreed with my position that they needed to fund uh, that $30 million. 
Now, I'll point out, and I think it's important, we saw a lot of Republicans in the House and the Senate say that they had always intended to fund the program. And if that's true, um, then hopefully we won't have to have this debate and this conversation next year. Representative Kent McCarty, a Republican from Hattiesburg, serves as vice chair of the House Education Committee. He tells our Desiree Frazier lawmakers felt it prudent to return to address the veto. I think we were clear, especially our chairman, Richard Bennett, was extremely clear with the governor um, and teachers that we would take care of this if we came back. Yeah, I don't think any of us were terribly excited to come back after uh, almost 50 of us ended up with coronavirus last month. Capital. So, uh, unfortunately, though, we don't really have much of a choice. Obviously, districts need to know what their budgets are. And, um, you know, the school district or school years begun. So, it's long, long time for us to take care of this. So, while we weren't all super excited to come back, I know that we knew it was necessary. We're obviously happy to do that to, to get this taken care of quickly. In the midst of the pandemic and, and uh, students returning to school, what are your concerns as chair or vice chair of education moving the state forward in dealing with this issue? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's a challenge, and I think it, it's been on a lot of people's minds the last couple of weeks trying to figure out how we could safely return to school. Um, I've got a lot of concerns about it. Obviously, our, our, our districts have put plans to the governor um, how they'll handle the the pandemic and how what adjustments they'll make to to deal with the challenges the pandemic brings. So, um, you know, I'm I'm very hopeful that it goes well for the the sake of the teachers and students. I know it's a it's going to be a tough year, and there's really no right answer. But I think we're we're all trying to do the best we can uh, given the circumstances. So I know it'll be it'll be a challenge, but I think it's a challenge that, that our teachers are up to. And I'm just you know I'm praying for all of them every day that they can. They can do this safely and that, that our kids are safe. They're able to, to learn in the, most, in the most normal way possible, um, given how strange 2020 is. Representative McCarty, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for calling. Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons calls the override historic. He says legislators responded overwhelmingly to educators' concerns. We have not had a uh, governor's override of a veto since 2002 so it is very historic uh in in mississippi uh to 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 override a governor's veto in fact it's very uh unusual to have vetoes uh we have not had them recently in legislative history and so uh it it was the it was the bill that the legislature voted overwhelmingly uh to do considering the significance of the K-12 education uh, budget. It's the largest budget of the six, uh, more than $6 billion state uh, budget. And so school districts were concerned about their funding and legislators overwhelmingly overrode the governor's veto. It was the right thing to do. There are CARE Act funds that um, you passed. You made some alterations to existing uh, programs that were set up. Are you satisfied with that? Do you anticipate providing more CARES Act funding to schools? Well, well at this point, the $1.25 billion, all of it uh, has been uh, appropriated by the legislature. 
Uh, we are waiting on an act of Congress, and to the extent we can get uh, Congress to pass another CARES Act package, I'm very, very hopeful that we will not only get more money uh, uh, to schools as as they deal with the uncertainty uh, of reopening uh, and the lack of statewide guidance on how they should reopen, uh, but also to cities and towns uh, and, and counties who who are also uh, experiencing uh, uh, the really bad part of this pandemic. How do you feel about the way the schools are opening? Uh, there, there was no uniform guidance. Um, uh, it was my hope that that we would have bold and courageous leadership uh, uh, at the executive level uh, to to listen to science and listen to the experts. Uh, but what uh, the state health officer recommendation for schools to be the delayed and in person uh, reopenings, uh, as well as uh, what a lot of the uh, Mississippi State Medical Association, an uh, organization that represents all of the doctors uh, in Mississippi who who understand very well uh, that our healthcare system is overwhelmed, uh, the recommendations that uh, have been made by them uh, to uh, the executive uh, branch of, of, of this state have all uh, fallen on deaf ears. And so uh, I feel that uh, we'll move more into the right direction and we can rebound uh, 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 on the better on the other side of this pandemic if we just listen to the science and listen to the experts. Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, cases of COVID-19 are popping up in schools. We talked to a superintendent on the coast about his district has managed the first week of school. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I had a UPI. I had a home test, and it showed that I had one. Then I go to the doctor, it showed that I don't have one. So, Mary, UTIs or urinary tract infections, very common, uh, more common in women than men. And as you get older, it can be more and more of a, of a problem. But there are other things that can cause burning in the urine. You mentioned a home test to see if you've got a, a urinary tract infection. They do test for certain substances that sometimes go along with a urinary tract in, infection, but not always. It's not specific for that. So that's the reason why the home test said that you had an infection. But when you go to the doctor, they do... Uh, some more definitive testing that they'll look for white blood cells. They would look for actual bacteria in the urine. They would also put the urine in a culture medium, and that's to grow out the bacteria. And that's important uh, most of the time because we want to be very specific with 
the antibiotic that we prescribe to try to treat the infection. Your urine basically is made up of waste products that your body gets rid of and water. What you eat sometimes can sort of influence that. And most people sort of can trial and error can sort of see what kind of things exacerbate it. Excessive amounts of vitamin C can do that. It mostly goes along with supplements rather than eating fruit, a lot of fruits. But it's possible that you're eating something that it's irritating the urethra and that's the, the opening that goes from the bladder to the outside of the body. So uh, drinking more water can be one of the things to help flush things out of your body a lot easier, and it can decrease the amount of burning that you, you can have. Sometimes medications that you take chronically for other problems can do that as well. So some medications are eliminated, the breakdown products in the urine, and sometimes people can have uh, what we call a urethritis, which is just an inflammation of the urethra. But those are the main causes of burning that aren't related to, uh, to an infection. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly, we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out, and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. Coming up, excuse me, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Around 100 students at a Mississippi Gulf Coast high school are quarantining after a teacher reported COVID-19-like symptoms. District administrators say the Gulfport High School students were sent home out of an abundance of caution. The episode is one in a handful of examples of what the new normal is like for school communities. In neighboring city Biloxi, students returned to class last week. Biloxi Public School Superintendent Marcus Boudreau says it's been a great Great start to the year, even as students adapt to new policies designed to prevent school-wide transmission. I'm going to be honest, it has been the best start that we've ever had. Uh, I think we were so hyper-focused on making sure that everything was perfect and that we had all of our procedures in place that, I mean, it, it has been wonderful. I'm overly amazed by how compliant parents, how compliant students and staff have been. I mean, they've taken every safety precaution, every mask mandate, and they have rolled with it. You know, prior to us starting, all I kept hearing was, oh, there's no way elementary kids are going to wear masks all day. They're doing fabulous. We haven't had any issues with it. How were the classrooms changed to accommodate that social distancing? We Basically, we've emptied out everything that is not essential from the classrooms. You know, Previously, you'd walk into a classroom, there might be bookshelves, there might be extra tables. All of that's been removed. So all that is in the classroom are students and desks. So we've got them as far away as possible. And everywhere we can, we've tried to limit the number of students in physical classrooms so that we can get them six feet apart. But it's just not realistic in every classroom. I think we've all seen the picture from Georgia of kids changing classes, and it's a crammed hallway. How are you accomplishing that? The kids don't like it, but everybody turns right. So it doesn't matter how close your next classroom is to the left, you're turning right. So everything is directional. 
And so when kids immediately walk out of a classroom door, they stay on the right side of the hall, and it essentially creates them almost in a single file line. And they go all the way around a hallway and make the turn and come back up the right side, uh, going the other direction. There really has not been uh, crowding. Have you had any cases of COVID-19 reported? We have. Um, We've had most of them. We've been lucky. Most of them were prior to the start of school. So it was parents notifying us before school began that they had a positive child. So that child has never actually attended. Um, And same thing with some staff members. We've had some staff members that were quarantined prior to the start of school. What is your protocol for quarantining if kids are exposed to the virus in school? Well, we have a wonderful team of nurses. We have nurses at every campus, and they head up the contact tracing on every campus. So any questions that come in or any COVID-related items that hit a campus start with the school nurse. And then we have two designated nurses throughout the district that the school nurses report to, and those are our Mississippi Department of Health contact individuals. At the elementary levels, it's very easy because you have extremely limited movement of the students. At the secondary level, it's a little bit different because kids do transition from class to class. So that's where we have detailed seating charts. Every seating chart indicates whether or not we did achieve social distancing in that class so that we know whether or not kids were six feet apart. And we follow contact tracing by going class to class. The nurse will go class to class, and they'll uh, determine whether or not they were six feet apart. If not, we will notify any for a positive case, we'll notify anyone that was seated around them that they uh, must quarantine for the next 14 days because they are a close contact. In addition, if we have a positive case in a classroom, even if you weren't a close contact, a letter will be sent to parents letting them know that there was a positive case in the classroom and that they should monitor their child for symptoms over the next 14 days. How is the distance learning portion of educating going? I am amazed. Um, I've been able to walk into multiple classrooms and see it going on. And, I mean, as anybody that's in education will tell you, teachers are awesome. They're going to adapt and change to anything, and they're going to figure it out. Um, Our distance learning has been awesome. It's a regular class. So we're using Google Meet. So we have designated teachers that teach uh, distance learners. And the way they've set it up, they've got one laptop set up to where they're viewing the students that are at home. So they see them physically on the screen. And then on the second screen, the teacher is sharing their Promethean board with the students at home. So the teacher is instructing, giving live instruction, live feedback, can ask questions of the kids, and the kids can see what the teacher is doing on the board. I think most people would say that when kids can be in a classroom, it's a better situation uh, for many reasons. Sure. If there's a situation where someone, if kids have to quarantine, will it be difficult to switch from in-classroom to distance learning is are the schools equipped to do that uh, turn in on a dime we are um now a lot of it will depend on how how it goes Uh, and here's what i mean by that for biloxi public schools we are already one-to-one at the secondary level and honestly that's where i have the most concerns about um you know an outbreak occurring just because of the nature of teenage students Um, again we have safety protocols in place but I'm fearful they're going to get it outside of school and we're going to have problems inside school. If we have to close only secondary schools, we can switch on a dime and be ready to go the next day. 
if we have to close down at the elementary level as well, that will take us a little bit of uh, reshuffling because we don't have one-to-one devices at our elementaries yet. They're on order, but as you can imagine, everybody in the country is ordering devices. And, and mo- all of our schools are equipped with them. Like, for example, all of our distance learners currently, we supplied them with a Chromebook. So we had enough for our distance learners. We just don't have enough uh, for all students at the elementary level if we have to shut down the entire district due to an outbreak. I want to ask about teachers and staff, too. Okay, Are, are they comfortable for those who might have an underlying condition that would make uh, being infected perhaps more concerning? Uh, are, are you, well, I guess, what, what the procedure is? Are you letting them uh, make a choice about coming into the classroom, or how's that working out? Well, teach, some of those teachers are distance learning teachers, um, and we also left some autonomy to teachers as well. So, for example, if you uh, are uncomfortable or if you are someone that is uh, does have underlying health conditions, even if social distancing is achieved and you don't want kids taking masks off in your class, you control that classroom environment. So that is up to them um, whether or not they want to require masks in their classrooms during those times. Um, but like I said, we've got so many safety precautions. I told someone today, I really think it'd be very difficult for a child to contract COVID at school based on the safety precautions that are in place. Um, again, my fear is what happens outside of school, and then they bring it in with them. Well, we certainly hope it's continued uh, continued full steam ahead for your schools. Marcus Boudreau is the superintendent of the Biloxi Public School District. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to interview me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.